there's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on, on the Sinn Féin side of the house. We're very reluctant to kind of say what's red lines, but, but we do have to take climate seriously. There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. Okay. Hello, you're very welcome again to Your Politics, the RTE Politics team's weekly podcast from Leinster House. I'm Anya Lawler. Juliet Gash and Sandra Hurley are with me. And look, we're here to talk politics, but uh, the big news this afternoon, um, that dreadful incident, we're learning the details it happened in Dublin City today in Parnell Square um, near the Rotunda Hospital. Uh, for men- That's a landmark many of you will know. Um, the details as we know them so far, it appears that a man stabbed a number of children, we think outside uh, the school that's there. And there's a really stunning eyewitness account um, that RTE News is broadcasting at the moment. Um And this woman describes how she saw the stabbing going on. She it's just so remarkable. She runs across the road and with other bystanders and the teachers, they shield the woman and the children. And then they encircle the man who it appears was on the ground. But they they kept him encircled for a couple of minutes until the emergency services arrived, which they did within a few minutes. But it just sounds um, like people showed so much courage. Have a listen to this. I looked across the road and I seen a man in a stab of motion where a load of children. So I flew across the road and um, he, the man was after stabbing two, two, two children as far as I could make out. And we got the children up to the left with the women that was there and the teachers, I presume. People were trying to attack the man. So me and another American lady, we formed a ring around the man and then um, about... Three minutes later, the fire, uh, the ambulance came for the children and then another ambulance and fire officers came for the man on the ground. It's absolutely remarkable, isn't it? The courage of that woman. And again, you know, the details, very, very sketchy. Uh, what do we know, uh, by the way, Juliet, about uh, the political reactions so far and, and the, what we know about those who were injured here? Yeah, so um, we know that uh, one of the children, a girl, um, they're they're saying that the the children are in around six years old, that one of them is is quite seriously injured. Five people have been taken to hospital, three of whom are children. They've been taken to Crumlin Children's Hospital, two people to the Matter Hospital. Um, And the the woman who was injured, who I think the one eyewitness certainly described her as looking like possibly a teacher or someone working in Gael Colosht, and we're there in Parnell Square. Um, She was also injured and uh, the potential alleged attacker. So, uh, yes, there's been political reaction coming in. Um, Minister of Justice Helen McEntee said she was deeply shocked by the appalling attack. And she also said her thoughts are with those injured, especially with their children. Uh, with the children and parents and families during this extremely difficult period. The Taoiseach Leo Varadkar said that he was being briefed by the Justice Minister Helen McEntee, who of course is liaising with the Garda Commissioner on this. Uh, and again, he expressed his shock. Sinn Féin President Mary Lou Macdonald said she was horrified by the suspected stabbing on Parnell Square. And she talked about the shock throughout the community and that her thoughts and prayers are with the families and staff. I mean, all 
all the reactions uh, from local politicians and from those in whose constituency this happened, like um, Pascal Donahue, they're, everyone is just expressing their shock. I mean, myself and Sandra were saying earlier, we don't think anything like this has ever happened in Ireland. You know, certainly not, not in our... No not school not. stabbing, certainly. We've seen it in other countries in lots of places, but it's never uh, erupted here. And the trauma for, for those involved. But you can only commend the courage of the bystanders. Mm. Incredible. Who, Incredible to, to think that someone would disarm a, a, a knife wielding gunman who sorry, a knife wielding man who has already attacked people. It's just incredible that they disarmed him and held him just bystander. It's absolutely really noteworthy. I mean, I'm sure the police would say ill advised in some circumstances, but it, the bravery shown is, is incredible. And, and hopefully by their actions, they, they saw off. And we can only hope that those who, who have been injured um, yep. make make a full recovery and, and, and our thoughts are, are with them and all involved. Um, and as I said, I know we're here to talk politics and doubtless there'll be political fallout from all of this at some stage down the line. But, but our, just today, the issue is your thoughts are just with children, you know, going to school. They should be safe going to school, shouldn't they? And, you know, it should be. Yeah, they should never have to witness this. I mean, no. you think of other children who may have witnessed it. Apparently they were coming out of primary school at the time. Uh, teachers may have been around. I mean, this is traumatising and it, it can stay with people. Yeah, OK. Uh, we'll move on. And there's certainly um, been a lot of drama on the political front, hasn't there? Let's start uh, with... Um, it was a bit of a surprise, wasn't it, Sandra, from Michal Martin yesterday, uh, this announcement on the triple lock? I think it was a surprise on the day, as in we didn't know it was going to be announced yesterday that they were going to make this move. But we did know for several yeah. months they were heading in that direction. Michal Martin has indicated that. It's been clear for, from Fine Gael for a long time. Key piece of the jigsaw was earlier this year, the Green Party changed its internal policy. They had one of their exhaustive policy examinations and they agreed to change the triple lock as well. So it has been clear the government is moving in this direction. Well, we now and have just to clarify yeah. on that one, what the Green Party, the Green Party shift in position was that we would no longer need the third piece of the jigsaw, the UN Security Council mandate, but it would be an EU or an African Union approved. There would be an, another mandate there as well. Exactly. And that seems to be what we expect the government is going to do, although it hasn't been confirmed uh, exactly. But Michal Martin did cite that yesterday as that is one of the options being examined by the moment. Obviously, at the moment, one of the legislation has to be brought to government. They have to approve it and then go to the Oireachtas. But of course, what's happened since it was announced is it has ignited this always contentious debate around neutrality and whether this is associated with Ireland's neutrality or not. Michal Martin, very insistent, this has nothing to do with neutrality. Opposition parties pretty much all saying that this is going to undermine Irish neutrality. It is a really difficult, contentious one. Neutrality is certainly ill-defined. We saw that from the Consultative Forum on Security. Dame Louise Richardson said it, it's simply not people have an attachment to it. It's a sort of an emotional attachment. They there cherish is huge it. public support, though, for it. There is huge the public polls. support. But precisely what does it mean? And have we been completely neutral in some of the actions that Ireland has undertaken in recent years, maybe allowing US planes to land at Shannon? That is contested as well. The government says they're not flying on to any military missions. Others would say having American military pass through an Irish airport is in itself uh, something that's not in keeping with neutrality. So this is deeply contentious and I think it's going to be very politically heated over the next few months. What's clear is the government has got the numbers to push this through. The opposition will really oppose it, but I think what will make it really tricky is if civil society organisations or maybe some kind of 
very prominent actors in Irish life if they came forward and said that the triple mm-hmm. lock should not be changed. That that would make it difficult. And Micheál Martin was having his own words from 2013, was it? Quoted mm. back at him at Leaders' Questions today by Pierce Doherty. Pierce Doherty was doing that during Leaders' Questions. Yeah, he started off and he he was, he was I suppose, speaking in, in favour of the triple lock and he read out these quotes, which at first it wasn't quite clear where, where the quotes were from or that even they were quotes. It sounded like Pierce Doherty yeah. was saying what he wanted to say, but he went, actually, Thonish, that these are your words. This was your support for the triple lock and that you have been influenced by, he was saying the inference was that you've been influenced by Fine Gael to to change your policy. Um, now, Michal Martin, um, I mean, there were some testy exchanges. He was saying this is absolutely nothing to do with neutrality. It will not roll back our neutrality. It will not change our international standing. This is a straw man, he said to him. This is what Sinn Féin does. Um, but obviously, there, there are going to be arguments over this. And the other argument from the opposition is, well, if you want to make changes, put it to the people. Let them make the decision in a referendum. Yes, and I think that's quite a canny move from Sinn Féin because this, uh, any question to do with neutrality or uh, Ireland's military involvement, this has really become entwined with previous referendums, the most recent EU referendums over the last 20 years. But Michal Martin also cited the first referendum back in 1972, the one that where Ireland signed up to join the EEC, that he said a lot of false arguments were thrown into that as well. Uh, and we have seen that in the past. And I think Sinn Féin knows rightly that there is no way the government wants this put to a referendum. So it's very easy for them to say that the government isn't going to act on it. Uh, I think as an issue, it is something that it's 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 actually the perfect issue for all the opposition parties to coalesce around. You've got the government on one side, opposition on the other. They know they'll get great mileage out of this over the next while. Is Cahill Berry the lone voice on the opposition benches? Well, well of course, there are a number of TDs, uh, independent TDs. TDs who vote with the government anyway so presumably their support is there. He wouldn't be the only independent but obviously his words carry a certain weight because he is a former army ranger and he is quite a reasoned speaker. He's making reasoned arguments. He has suggested previously that Ireland should change the triple lock. We weren't able to send for instance defence personnel when um, politicians were visiting Ukraine it had yes. to be good but this is again we can't we need the triple lock of where to send getting more than Irish people out of Afghanistan for, that's exactly, another that's another this, one yeah. and he is certainly an interesting voice in all of this because of his personal experience of course the um, the triple lock goes back to the Lisbon and Nice protocols doesn't it and the arguments about them and the fear then that we were on a slippery slope to a European argument yes or remember army, EU yeah. battle groups and deployments and suggestions that people's children were going to be be dragged into an all-round EU army. I, uh, that's the type of thing that could get back dragged back into this again. So what's the timetabling on this in terms of legislation? Michal Martin seemed to He's indicate he wants to do it, it fairly to his officials. Yeah, I, I don't have any further detail on when that's going to transpire, but it was it, it's, a, it's a matter that's in train. But interestingly, Conor Gallagher had a great piece in the Irish Times and he was just talking about this has been on the statute book since the 1960s, but it wasn't until, you know, the likes of the Nice and Lisbon treaties that people started invoking it, that this was already well established law. Um, but it just became no, the law that on people, which it's based dates yeah, back exactly, to then. To the, 1960s. the triple lock was brought in then as a policy from those referenda on. I think is the way it works. It's after I Nice, I think, two thousand and one. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. got that civil declaration. 
Um, two other things. This was all part of a, a speech Micheál Martin was giving uh, about uh, a big overhaul of our defence and he's starting to talk about that there's going to be a lot of new work on sea defences and so on. And another thing in the area of defence, uh, a meeting with the Women of Honour today wasn't there about the, the terms of reference of the inquiry. So uh, a lot been happening on the defence front this week and certainly in terms of uh, the triple lock and Irish neutrality. You can expect to hear an awful lot more uh, when this uh, comes back to the door and in the weeks ahead. The other big story, uh, Gaza, and as we speak, um, that we had hoped early this morning um, that the first group of hostages would be released under a deal, a Qatari negotiated deal between uh, well, lots of people have been involved in the negotiations, but uh, Qatar uh, have been uh, very closely involved between Israel and Hamas. Uh, unfortunately, uh, it didn't happen this morning. Uh, the latest details as we speak from Haaretz. Tomorrow morning, a ceasefire is due to start at seven o'clock local time. 13 Israeli women and children will be released then at four o'clock local time in the afternoon. And over the next four days, 150 Palestinians and 50 Israelis are to be released. And there's also to be relief convoys uh, brought in. Um, we don't know it had been hoped, Emily Hand. Certainly the Irish government had hoped that Emily Hand, the little Irish Israeli girl, turned nine last week, wasn't it? I, I think her father is now confirmed to various media organisations, including RTE, that her name is not on the list for tomorrow. So that is, that is terrible news, obviously. You would have hoped that she would be in the early number of people to be released. She is so young. She just turned nine. Obviously, it's a breakthrough to have the, the ceasefire and it's hoped that a lot can be achieved over the next few days. They just need to get it started and get those people out. You can only imagine the torture for the families of hostages it, the it's, waiting. It's actually unimaginable. I mean, yeah. he, we had the very emotional interviews um, with Emily Han's father and just, yeah, the, the trauma of waiting for that news. Hopefully she will be among the 50. Yeah. Um, as you mentioned, they are going to be women and children, but there are children significantly younger even than Emily Hand, who yeah. perhaps will be ahead of her on the list, including a 10-month-old baby, three-year-old twins. Um, and as well as that this week, I mean, the horror, the torment continues in Gaza. Um we saw those pictures of those premature babies uh, being evacuated from Al-Shifa Hospital. Mm -hmm. um, the fighting has continued today, so you can only hope people get some respite if there is a truce tomorrow. Mm -hmm. uh, but the situation appears to be uh, that it's it's intended the fighting would resume after that. And Yeah, Israel and does not seem ready to agree to a longer ceasefire. It's the policy, obviously, of the Irish government, government to call for a permanent ceasefire, but it doesn't seem to be on the cards right now. Let's talk about taxes, PRSI. <laughs> yes, God giveth with one hand and taketh away with the other. Um, so, yeah, it looks like, well, we will be paying more PRSI from next October. Um, I think it works out at the beginning for an average worker. That's around €45,000 a year pre-tax of £0.90 cent a week. So it's not a massive amount. However, it is cumulative and it will rise um, to 0.7% uh, over five years. So it's sort of 0.1%, 0.1%, then 0.15 twice and then 0.2%, which cumulatively is 0.7%. So by that stage, five years on, a person on the average wage will be paying 315 extra in PRSI. So it's not insignificant. So the percentages sound small, but they the do. sums add up. It all up. adds up. It all adds up. And I, I think the point is I was speaking to a tax expert from 
PwC yesterday, uh, and she was explaining that it won't completely erode the the tax giveaways that were in the budget, but it's certainly going to minimise them, uh, mm-hmm. reduce them. Um, and essentially, it's all to pay for the fact that we are not going to be able to retire uh, later. Well, that, that the government, I suppose, conceded in a way that the retirement age would stay at 66 rather than rising further and also for enhanced redundancy payments uh, related to the PRSI payments people have made. So this means career. you're going to get pay related benefit for nine months. So it kind of exactly. you get this tapering before you're on to the, the basic unemployment um, benefit. It's really interesting, isn't it, in the context of, uh, do you remember when the Commission on Taxation report came out uh, and the Taoiseach uh, didn't like it at the time? He called parts of it, didn't he? Straight out of the Sinn Féin playbook. That's right. Um, <laughs> but what the Commission on Taxation was basically saying is that just to have the services and the state that we've got at the moment, because we've got an ageing population, we're all going to have to pay more. The tax base is going to have to be broadened. There's going to have to be more tax paid. And we know this is all happening against the backdrop of that kind of enormous tide of corporation taxes. Well, it seems to be going out a little bit, quite how much yet. Well, we, we don't know those November numbers yet, do we? No, they're, they're not out yet. They're critical, obviously, into, in terms of the government's arithmetic and how the numbers overall will turn out for this year. But yes, economically, things are not looking as rosy as they were. The government has benefited enormously from these windfall revenues. They've been able to do those once-off cost-of-living payments. They're not going to have that to the same extent mm-hmm. in the coming years. The budgets are going to be tougher. And as you said, we have a growing state catering for an ageing population, this huge demographic pressure. And talking about the PRSI side of it, this all comes back to the fact that politically, it's just impossible now for the government to increase the pension age, even though it was also recommended by the Pensions Commission, which was set up after the... um, the coalition came together. So Sinn Féin made it such win a, on that one. Uh, oh, they what's did their win. position then on this PRSI increase? Interesting yesterday to note their line of attack. They weren't attacking the PRSI increases per se. They just went back to the pensions argument. Their argument repeated that the pension age should have remained at 65. It's now officially 66. They still feel that the pensions argument will play well for them. This was one of the things that this tax expert, uh, Duno Doherty, as her name, was was explaining, just that no government is going to want to roll back on taxes that are coming in 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 quite a neat and useful way. That was her estimation. But she was also saying that at the moment we have one working person for every two retired people, but by 2050 we'll have one working person for four retired people. So we can't ignore those demographics and the fact that that has to be paid for. It's a bit like the USC, isn't it, Uh, when it was brought in? It it brings in so much money, even though they can, you know, chip away at it. But remember what Mary Lou McDonald said in the last general election campaign? She said the demographics will look after themselves. Um, what's health going to do, by the way? Because um, we had the supplementary uh, estimates uh, approved, didn't we, this week by the cabinet? Um, and instead of the one point four, one point, what was it? We were in the region of one point two, I think, to one point five had been expected. Mm-hmm. This is what the HSE had guided might be needed. And instead, health gets less than a billion. That's going to be interesting. Yeah, that's right. So they're they're starting on the back foot entirely for next year. There's obviously going to be an even bigger supplementary but estimate needed for, for next year. It seems a really odd way to do 
budgeting. Many have commented on that. The Secretary General of the Department of Health said they, they can't keep going on like that. But Pascal Dunne, who was questioned about that this week, and he said it's a negotiation. You can't give people what they want. There's nego- tough negotiations with all departments. And he wasn't resiling from the decisions made. So deeper uh, crap get cracking the whip there. Another piece of news this week, Juliet. Uh, we're going to have uh, a referendum. It's two referendums, in fact, is it, on International no, I, Women's Day? I, lucky us, International Women's Day, another vote. And again, uh, parts of the constitution relating to uh, a woman's place in the home. Look, there's there's a broad agreement that that does need to be changed or need to be modernised, but it's what it's replaced with that is really crucial and we're going to get a decision on that uh, next Tuesday, I believe, or at least on the wording of what the referendum will look like uh, and the two articles that need to be tweaked. And a lot of people already, because all of this, of course, comes from the recommendations of the Citizens' mm-hmm. Assembly, uh, and it was, you know, they were making very positive recommendations about, you know, the role of carers and what, you know, mm-hmm. we could put that into the constitution and protections there, and also broadening the definition of the family. Yeah, it seems to be the two referendums are deleting the language that people would, most people would agree, is sexist, paternalistic, about a woman's life in the home replacing that with some language around care, but not going as far as the Citizens' Assembly went because the view we're hearing from government is they are concerned that it might confer legal rights to carers that would involve spending, essentially. And Liv Radker hinted at that in the doll during the week when he said that the Oireachtas should make the decisions around spending in relation to this. The second part of the referendum, as you say, is redefining the family. And um, so it's not solely based on a family based on marriage. And we know that this sort of stuff can be contentious. We've seen that before. I wonder why the government didn't simply just delete the sexist language and keep it simple like that. I think that would have been a lot more straightforward. They may have felt that they had to do the rest of it because of the Citizens' Assembly and Anoroctus Committee's recommendations as well. But there's concern that you could get into a kind of a gender wars, culture wars type thing that lots of other issues will get thrown into this. And the other problem is if they have it on International Women's Day when there are no other votes, it's not being held with the local and European elections, the turnout could be quite low as well. So that that's a difficulty also. I'm sure there'd be many in the opposition who'll argue it would be a perfect time for a neutrality referendum <laughs> as well. Um, just before we go, let's talk about uh, the Dutch election result mm. and what that might mean uh, for the European elections in particular next year and a number of votes coming up. Uh, Juliet, what happened? Yes, yeah, so Geert Wilders, who's this right-wing firebrand, now he's been a member of parliament for, for years and years, But unexpectedly, very unexpectedly, he won um, the highest number of votes and is expected to form a majority as a result. Um, Mark Rutte, the the long-standing uh, Prime Minister, his sort of chosen one was expected to to, to romp home um, with more seats, but they're actually in third position behind the Labour-Green uh, movement. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's quite shocking. People would often consider the Netherlands to be very progressive and view that as being more left wing mm-hmm. as a result. But uh, this is being hailed by people like Viktor Orban in Hungary, by um, Marine Le Pen. Marine Le Pen is very happy to, to see that happen as well. And it's just more uh, clarity around the movement of populism in Europe and how an anti-immigration and in this in this instance, anti-Muslim um, stance uh, can be popular. And interesting, as I say, Sandra, in the light of the European elections coming up next year, the French election, a sense that Europe is shifting very much to the right and immigration and also green politics, very much part of that debate. Yeah, immigration is going to be huge and it has been in European elections in recent years. But even since the last round of European elections, think of the movement of people from Ukraine, all the people crossing the Mediterranean, all the difficulties that's 
causing in some of the countries who are taking in those thousands of people landing on their shores. It's really, really contentious and and it's going to flare up, I think, in every single country. And we have seen that because so many people have arrived in various countries and we've seen it in Ireland that uh, there there have been difficulties politically around all of this. Um, Let's wrap up the week with a slightly more cheerful note. Uh, There seem to be good noises um, emanating from, well, not, not, that's very bold, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, would we go that far? But after weeks and weeks and months and months and feels at this stage, years of years of stalemate in the North, um, speculation that Geoffrey Donaldson finally might be about to jump back into power sharing. We've got the British Council, don't we? Uh, The dinner tonight and the meeting tomorrow. Uh, So the speculation is mounting. Hope is mounting. Exactly. It seems like it's been on the cards for a while. Really, it's for Geoffrey Donaldson to make the decision. The feeling is he has the numbers in the Assembly, probably not in Westminster. People like Sammy Wilson dead against it. But the intervention of Peter Robinson this week was seen as important. He's pretty much telling them it's time to make a decision. You're pretty much there. This is as good as you're going to get. So it seems to rest on Geoffrey Donaldson making that call. The view of the Irish government, and we've heard this from both the Taoiseach and the Taunish, that that the deal is pretty much done between the, the Unionists and the British Government. Yes, and we had uh, Leo Varadkar, didn't we, at the Fine Gael, um conference in Maynooth at the weekend saying he was more optimistic. More optimistic, more uh, hopeful. Yeah. And they had always said that they really expected something to happen in November. And again, Peter Robinson saying this cannot roll into next year. It's just it's a deal has to be done in 2023 or else. OK, Christmas is coming, isn't that right? Alex, was it Alex came? One of the commentators was pointing out it's always kind of a Christmas deal. In the oh, night, yeah, Brexit it? stuff seems to happen around <laughs> Christmas, wasn't there? The okay. Christmas Eve deal. Oh, yeah. OK, well, I'll let you guys get back to work and we'll talk to you again next Thursday. Thanks for watching and listening. See you soon. Thank you.